0: One thing that I never do is I never teach from a verse of scripture. As a matter of fact, that bothers me when people do that. I mean, what about the context? What about the hermeneutics? What about the proper interpretation and the homiletics and all of these good theological things? I mean, I just, it shouldn't be done. You never preach from one scripture. And the other thing that I've learned by now at this ripe old age of 49, almost half a century, is you should also never say never. <laughs> Not only am I going to teach a message from one verse of the Torah today, it's the first verse of the Parsha. Okay, I didn't even get past the first verse before I said, stop, that's it, that's what I'm going to talk about. I read the whole Parsha, of course, I read one before, I read some after, I read a lot of commentary, all these good things, but at the end of the day, I am breaking my never rule, and I am teaching you from one line of scripture today that says this in Exodus 21, 1, it's the first verse of Parsha Mishpatim, the ordinances, and it says, and these are the ordinances that you shall place before them. And you may not have heard it, but it just happened. It might have been the person next to you. It could have been in a living room, someone online, but you just missed someone go and thought or said under their breath, This is gonna be boring. Yes, we're going to have a we're gonna have a Torah message today. But it's anything but boring, I promise you, because when you understand that statement. And these are the ordinances that you shall place before them. When you understand it in context, there's that word. It's, it's, it's understanding according to Jewish interpretation. We're going to make, first of all, a major discovery today. And secondly, we're going to give ourselves a call to action. So it is about the ordinances that Moses should place before them. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, first off, we need to ask a question. What does that even mean? What does it even mean I'm going to place you need to place the ordinances before them Well the word the verse in Hebrew says this ve'eleh hamishpatim Ve'le hamishpatim ashir tasim lifnechem vav vav v okay it's connected to this word eleh which means these ve'eleh mishpatim and these ordinances Tasim lifneichem, you should place before them. So what? Well, here's what we learn from Rashi. Anytime we see the vav, v connected to the word ele, it implies a continuation of the previous subject matter. Okay? That's the first verse in the Torah portion. It begins with v and we just learned that that connects it to what just happened in the last one. I'm going to give you a refresher. What happened in the last Torah portion? Hint, Charlton Heston. (laughs) The Ten Commandments. One of my other favorite ones was History of the World, where Mel Brooks was acting as Moses, and he brought down three tablets, and he said, I give you these 15, and one of them broke Ten Commandments. (laughs) But that's sacrilegious. But he's Jewish, so I don't know. There's some balance in the world. Ten Commandments last week, and it connects to Ve'ele HaMishpatim, Eli Monk, call of the Torah, an amazing sort of Kabbalistic, I'll use that word, mystical, esoteric commentary, but Ve'ele is a declaration that just as the Ten Commandments were received last week, These Mishpatim are connected to them. In other words, these are still the ordinances that are coming from Mount Sinai. They are directly connected to this massive, awesome, important revelation that we refer to as the Ten Commandments. And what is Mishpatim? It's a bunch of laws. Its ordinances. But Moses right now, as he does this, is still articulating the law from Sinai. This is the beginning of the civil code. And the other thing Rashi says that's important is he says the, it, the Ten Commandments end with, and you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. And all of these things are teaching you how to not covet your neighbor's things, and to behave in a civil society, okay? And it goes on to talk about other things in this. Slavery, selling a daughter, hitting or cursing your parents, bestiality, an eye for an eye. We got a lot of diversity here in Mishpatim. But all that to say, we can't keep the Ten Commandments posted on the wall or in the courthouse. You used to be able to do that. We can't elevate the Ten Commandments and make such a huge deal out of them and chuck the rest. This is all Mount Sinai revelation. Yes, eye for an eye, bestiality, all of this stuff. But... And here's why I stopped at the first sentence, and I'm only teaching on one verse today. What does that statement mean? And these are the ordinances you shall place before them. You ready? Moses was told by God, it is not enough to just tell them. It's not enough to just state the substance of the law and repeat it until the people have learned it or memorized it. Again, according to, to borrow from Rashi, the law must be presented with all its reasoning and explanations laid out in detail. As one sets a table before a person about to eat, you get it? Place it before them. In other words, Some of these things are complicated and confusing, particularly to your Western 21st century mind. Okay? So, God, from the beginning of the Torah at Mount Sinai, tells Moses, You have a job to do, Moshe Rabbeinu. Anyone know what Moshe Rabbeinu means? Moses, our teacher. Moses, our teacher, to place before them means to explain, to elaborate, to fill full of meaning. Now, before you say to me, gosh, he's pulling out a a lot of Rashi and rabbis here. What about Jesus? Well, I want to remind you of what another very famous rabbi said in Matthew 5. I did not come to abolish the Torah, no, but to fulfill it. What does fulfill mean? It means to articulate, to explain, that you understand, to place it before you so that as a proper disciple of Yeshua, you understand how to apply Torah. Remember Moses, first Redeemer, Yeshua, second Redeemer. These guys are tight. You can't separate them. Okay? But Yeshua, that's, that was Yeshua who said that about fulfilling the Torah, which goes right back to this one verse, you shall place it before them. In other words, Moses, you must fulfill the Torah before them. Now, as an example, let's state this, uh, 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 an example of this study, learn, understand concept of placing it before it. Let's consider nature and science. Nature is very, very complicated god designed the system and a surface evaluation of these things will not always tell you very much for instance the solar system photosynthesis okay complicated processes and it's is it sufficient to say look the sun turns the plants green and we eat the food shut up don't ask any questions that, that's the way life is. But, but, but why? How does that happen? What makes that work? Why is that a thing that happens? Quiet! Don't ask any questions. The human body is a better example. You know, you look at a human body, yes, we look very different, but we are the ultimate divine creation, what's going on behind these faces and bodies. The ultimate immensely complicated, but not really so much from the outside. This is a human being. This is what a human being is. This is what they all do. But, but, but what, why do they break down? Why do they get sick? Why do they act weird? What makes a human being, what makes the body function in its physiology? You don't need to know that. Don't look beneath anything else. Just look right on the surface. That's all you need to know. No, that's not the way we're designed. We're designed to seek out mystery and to understand. We are inclined toward experimentation and looking deeper and understanding. And that's how humanity survives. Consider for a split second the microscope. The world of human anatomy or microbiology opened up because we could see beneath the layers We could place new things before ourselves and understand with a depth of knowledge that literally changed the world. We could see why things happen, why processes. It changed the world to have access to knowledge that was not obvious on the surface. And sadly, there have been many people throughout history who have tried to limit discovery, who have kept, wanted to keep people Closed in and not knowing things. Sometimes the church was one of those bodies that did that. Imagine if at some point the powers that be had said there will be no study of the human body beyond what we can see from the outside. That microscope you invented, it's from the pit of hell. Satan made that. I don't want to see it. I don't want you to use it. We wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't even be talking a plague would have wiped out the entire world by now if we had not been given the opportunity to see below the surface. What would we have lost? We are creatures of investigation. Now that seems like a radical tangent, and you're all going, maybe you should try to use more than one verse going forward for these messages. It's very related in this way the emerging community of the way, which was the community of disciples of Yeshua, eventually became a very non-Jewish way, right? It became predominantly dominated by Gentiles, separated from the Jewish moorings of this thing that eventually became Christianity. Eventually, that group was prohibited Forbidden to even seek to understand or apply Torah principles to their lives. And the teaching of thousands of years of Torah interpretation was dismissed as demonic and all kinds of other things. And all of those interpretations that had come down from Sinai in the Torah from Sinai itself were removed, taken out of the picture. And you shall place before them explanation and reasoning and a way of living this out. No, all of that's gone. Sages of Israel, their interpretations, no, gone. Even the words of Yeshua and the Paul corpus, those words were changed. And it became this. I mean, you could compare it to outlawing the microscope. You just you don't even you don't even need to know anything about that stuff, but not allowing these ordinances to be placed before the community of disciples has done the great, great and enduring harm to this body. That is the body of Messiah. When it was declared, Jesus delivered us from the law. And you don't need to know anything about it. It is not for you. It is not worthy of study. It is not relevant. There was no opportunity for Moses to set anything before these people. And here's what happened early on when this, with this sort of, with this, all that Moses said is bad, push it away. With that perspective in mind, the Old Testament God became the enemy. He is the one that Yeshua came to defeat The God of wrath, the God of punishment, who would instruct his people in things like circumcising their flesh. Not eating the the flesh of swine, come on. And the next two portions that we're going to read, what kind of God would spend that kind of detail talking about people, talking to people about building a hut in the wilderness, And all chapter about sockets and curtains and dye from, I mean, come on. You don't need to know that. Or this Torah portion, Mishpatim, if you buy a Jewish bondsman, slavery, seriously? If you sell your daughter, if a dad sells his daughter as a bondsman, bondswoman, what kind of father? Eye for an eye? Seriously, Peggy? That's brutal. We don't need that. We don't need any of that. Jesus delivered us from all that. You don't need to know anything more. We no longer need to place any of these things before the followers of Christ. So our major discovery for today from one verse of scripture applied through history says this. Christians, I use the term very, very broadly, but it's applicable, were never taught to see beneath the surface of the Torah's seemingly difficult laws. They never got the message that it was Moses' job through transmission and the sages after him and especially our Rabbi Yeshua's job to help them understand and apply it, to apply the microscope of Jewish study to what could be sort of a confusing book, honestly. And some of these laws that God didn't expect them to just memorize and do, even though, that's what, even though that's what Israel said, all that you've said will do. God knows our inner workings. He knows that we are seekers. He knows that we need explanation and understanding for the things that we do. And you know what? On one level, you could understand being confused by some of the things that we read even in this Torah portion, especially 3,500 years later. But even the Gentiles, you know, not that long after, 1,900 years ago, they were confused. But God is not mean. He's not arbitrary and weird. And these things that are in Mishpatim, that are connected to Mount Sinai, still do need to be understood through the microscope of Jewish interpretation. For example which Christianity removed that from the equation. But for example, if a man sells his daughter as a bondswoman. Now that's weird, right? How many dads in here? (laughs) I should finish the question. How many dads in here woke up today thinking about who you could sell your daughter to? It's a weird thing. What kind of father, right? But God said to Moses, you're going to place this ordinance before them. The people need to understand. They need to see beneath the surface. So here's the answer. What kind of father? The kind of father who knew that he could never provide a life for his daughter. And that by this arrangement, she might actually have a life Now listen, until a girl reaches puberty, the Torah gives her father the right to sell her as a bondswoman. But as the passages make clear and the teachings of the sages make clear, this right is given him for her benefit. He is permitted to sell her because it is expected to result in her marriage to either her master or his son. In fact, if neither of the two marries her, the Torah regards it as a betrayal of the girl. And... And it goes on. And there's a a lot of other explanation. But let me give you a shocking statement. Jesus didn't deliver us from that. The culture changed dramatically. We don't do that anymore. Although there are still arranged marriages, even in Orthodox Judaism, where arrangements are made. But selling your daughter and servitude and all that, I understand. Do we think that the father, like, come on, Sally, let's... Dance on over to a total stranger's house. (sniffs) See ya. Good riddance. Of course not. It was sad. It was beyond sad, I'm certain, for this father. It's a tragedy, but the realization was he could not provide for the girl. And so out of the most horrendous, gut-wrenching pain, he did this, probably not to some wandering stranger who walked by and said, take her, take her. He hoped for her best. But no one understands that if you read that on the surface. You need the microscope of Jewish interpretation and you need the context to understand that. And there's, of course, a cultural relevant lesson today. Fathers, listen, first of all, don't have a bunch of kids that you can't take care of. Secondly, work hard to provide for the children that you do have. But that's another message entirely. Eye for an eye is another example, classic example. What brutal punishment. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering us from that. It's pretty harsh on the surface, gouge out an eye, tooth for tooth, you know. This is is tough stuff, Moses, though, God said. You're going to have to place this ordinance before them. They need to understand, help them understand. So let me help. It is clear from the Talmud... And other Jewish sources that this term eye for an eye was always known to mean as the oral law explains it, that's sometimes the Jewish microscope, that the responsible party must pay the monetary value for an eye in restitution for the eye that he had blinded. Never was there a Jewish court that ever blinded or otherwise inflicted a physical injury in revenge or retribution. The only corporal punishments ever imposed are the death penalty and lashes where provided by the Torah. Eye for an eye. It's about money. It's about compensation. It's about functioning in a civil society. And guess what? Ready? Jesus didn't deliver us from this. We still have this today. It's worse than this. It's called a lawsuit or or a felony. And in our system, our system stinks. Someone steals, they throw them in jail, where we then support them with three hots and a cots for however long they need to be there to get fixed. And the rate of recidivism is horrendous, at least according to the Torah, When you stole, you paid it back. And if you couldn't pay it back, you know what you did? You became a slave. See the Torah for how we treat indentured servants. You see how the system works? It was better than ours. But you don't understand that if you don't place it before the people and know what Judaism says about the Torah. And every Torah verse everyone that could, be malign, that could be maligned and castigated, killing, the, ki- killing the, 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 uh, the willfully disobedient son, killing somebody for not observing the Shabbat, all of these things, you cannot understand those things on the surface. You have to dig deeper. And that's what God told Moses to do, to place these ordinance before them. You function without a microscope, and that is exactly what happened to Christianity. That is the how and the why. Now listen, the Torah is old. It's an ancient document of everlasting wisdom, but some things are really hard to understand. Some things are really hard to comprehend, and there's really no amount of setting it before us that makes all of it applicable. But when we place those things before ourselves and make an attempt to understand them, we learn and grow. Now, the Torah is also, it's old. It's also a story. It has a narrative component. It has lives of real people, whether they live their lives well or poorly. When we place those stories before us, seeing below the surface provides benefit. But the Torah in its largest function is a legal document. That is what a good The section of the first five books of the Bible are a legal document, a marriage covenant. Yes. And some of the romantic stuff about God taking a marriage and this is the ketubah and all that. That's good stuff. I love it. But it's in larger part about how to live with each other. Because when you read in the Torah, you don't find much about faith or angels or going to heaven or hell or any of those sort of spiritual things. You find things about how to live with each other, and to borrow a massively abused term in our world, you learn about social justice. Even for indentured servants, prisoners of war, and daughters who were placed in arranged marriages, that was the culture. And yep, I understand. It can look difficult, distant, confusing, and easily dismissed. If we don't look beneath the surface and that's what we learn from this one scripture teaching, God knew that. He instructed Moses, these are the ordinances. He so much knew that that he put his very divine essence into Messiah to come to the earth to teach and help people understand Torah, return to it and usher in the kingdom of God. They didn't get that. He left us with a gift. It's called the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the Holy Spirit it does primarily in your life. It doesn't teach you to speak in unpronounceable languages. It teaches you to have the Torah placed before you as a living document about how you should be living your life. It instructs you in the things that Yeshua taught you. And in that Application, You learn and you grow and you get it and your life improves and your level of connection to God is transformed. And many in this people, I mean, many in this room can testify to that. And here's the problem. The church was robbed of that. the jewish application and interpretation was the microscope paul said it this way all things become visible when they're exposed by the light that's what a microscope does and it magnifies things but i read this after i finished preparing this message and i knew this is the, the this was what i needed to say this week the talmud reminds us that the torah was not given to angels <clears throat> instead god gave the torah to flawed and sinful human beings. The Torah speaks directly into human society with all of its wrinkles. It speaks in the language of the flawed and imperfect in order to infuse godliness into the world. It has descended from a very high place, God, to a very, very low place, man, man. And yet it still retains its godly essence. And that essence might be confusingly wrapped in garments of human concern, like slavery or compensation for negligence. But if one takes the time to unwrap the commandment, it will blaze forth in his hands with the brilliance of heaven. The church was robbed of that. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it he did away with it that's not true and the church was robbed but here's the good news you were not you were not robbed you may have been for some period of time in your life but you are no longer there you have discovered something And you will not ever be again robbed. You have seen the light. The ordinances have been placed before you. Maybe not the full clarity. There's still a lot of things that are confusing to me. Context not considered. But you have seen the Torah in its divine light with the brilliance of heaven blazing forth. And that means something for you. It means that you are tasked with placing this authentic and original good news before the people, just like Moses. That's why one verse of Scripture works, because that is still our calling. God gave it to Moses. Many people don't understand. You are tasked with placing this authentic and original good news for life, which is right here, right there, Before the world, to place it before them, to help them see, to understand, apply, implement, restore, ask questions, to take back what was stolen, and to help them. Rabbi Tarfan used to say, It's not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. If you have studied much Torah, you shall be given much reward. Faithful is your employer to pay you the reward of your labor. And all that. All of this that I said, we learn from one scripture. Never say never. May we rise to the task of placing the ordinance before the world, but with love and with compassion. Shabbat Shalom.